Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what a great God you are and that we can sing about you and praise you and understand your attributes and then see in your word through the Lord Jesus, the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What a great, compassionate, loving Savior. And may we represent him well by being like him. May we see that in the scriptures as we turn together now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 28 this morning. Matthew chapter 15. And I'll start now at verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. We're looking at some great faith, as Jesus has just declared. O woman, great is your faith. By contrast, if we were to go back to chapter 8, verse 26, remember that the Lord Jesus admonished his disciples, O you of little faith. Later on in chapter 16, and then again in chapter 17, he will say the same thing of his disciples, of the apostles. Little faith. And here is a foreign woman with great faith. Jesus and his disciples went away from where they had been, it tells us. Where they had been is at a place called Gennesaret. They left behind the controversy where Jesus had pointed out how wrong it was to follow the traditions of men instead of God's commands. The Lord Jesus was telling them how uncleanness was far more important when that uncleanness was part of the spiritual being rather than the physical realm. Do you think there's any significance to the relationship between where Jesus was coming from Gennesaret, a place of the Jews, and where he was going? He was going to Tyre and Sidon in that area, which was not a place where the Jews were. That was a place where the Gentiles were. Any significance... Well, remember what happened in the first part of this chapter, Matthew chapter 15. Jesus disputed the oral traditions of the Pharisees, particularly when they were majoring on externals and not the heart. The Pharisees were all upset about unclean hands, unclean ceremonies. So where did Jesus go next? He went to a place where he could show them by example that the people the Pharisees branded filthy untouchables were not unclean in God's eyes. Jesus went to a Gentile place 
to help a Gentile woman and a Gentile daughter, and she's not called a widow, possibly a Gentile man, husband, father of this child as well. He not only set the woman's daughter free from demonism, but he gave us a great example that all of us need in order to set us free from prejudice, racism, bigotry, and exclusivistic tendencies. He pointed out the great faith of a Gentile woman right after he pointed out the phony faith of religious leaders of the Jews. There was an opportunity for the Lord Jesus to do that. An opportunity that we might look at and say it was something that was unexpected. It wasn't something that could have been planned for, but of course, Jesus being omniscient, Jesus knew what was going on, but to our eyes, this might be something unexpected. Because Jesus and his disciples went to the district or the region of Tyre and Sidon. These cities were in a place called Phoenicia, which is now Lebanon. Syria controlled that area, which is why Mark referred to this woman as a Syrophoenician woman. The area bordered on Galilee to the northwest. It was a short trip of no more than 20 miles. If you look on the map, if you're able to see the screen above us, just to get some idea where we're talking about, we're very familiar with Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Judea down here to the south. We come further north, we run into Samaria, and we know there are some problems that exist between the Jews and the Samaritans. Oftentimes they would try to bypass that. But when you get further north to Galilee, and there was a lot of travel between Galilee and Judea, you come up here, you see Gennesaret where Jesus had been, you see the the Sea of Galilee or Sea of Tiberias here in this blue area, and then you see where Tyre and Sidon are in Phoenicia. This is not a long distance from Gennesaret up here, Um, not a long distance, but here's the point, it's an entirely different world. It's an entirely different world, an unclean world with unclean people, according to the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, people who were untouchables. It was an unlikely place for a strategic miracle of the Lord Jesus. So from our perspective, we would say this was unexpected for Jesus to be in that place and to have something significant happen. Jesus entered a house and wanted to be incognito. Even in a Gentile city, the word about him, though, had spread. Mark said that Jesus could not be hidden. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, it says, And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Remember, Jesus and the disciples had had a long, tough time. Jesus wanted to get some rest for the disciples. They hadn't been able to. Here is yet again another attempt to get some rest, to be in a place where nobody would recognize him, nobody would come. But the problem was, as Mark knew well, Jesus could not be hidden. He couldn't be hidden because all that he was was going to be evident wherever he was. Picture that we'll see on the screen here of attar of roses. It comes in a couple of different forms. It's a very expensive, fragrant perfume or oil as it's described. It's one of the most valuable products of Bulgaria particularly. It's heavily taxed for export. 
So there is a story of a tourist who was unwilling to pay the duty, tried to evade customs by hiding two vials of this precious fluid in his suitcase. Problem. Apparently a little of the perfume had spilled in his suitcase. By the time he reached the train station, the aroma was emanating from the luggage, declaring the presence of his contraband. The authorities immediately knew what the man had done. They confiscated his what now was even more costly souvenirs. The point is the Lord Jesus couldn't be hidden either. Crowds were constantly mobbing him to hear his words of wisdom, to benefit from his deeds of mercy, to derive help from his loving compassion. He couldn't help it. They would know where he was because he would be doing all the things that he did. And that's the way that his followers should be as well. That's the way that we should be. Remember, we talk a lot about salt, light, and fragrance. We shouldn't go anywhere without people being able to see and to smell and to hear about the Lord Jesus because he should permeate us as believers. That's what this whole thing about salt, light, and fragrance is about. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, they will become familiar verses when we get there. We're going to pick up in verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And think about this. As it was said about Jesus, he could not be hidden. May it be said of us as well that we can't go incognito as Christians, that people everywhere are going to see or hear or smell something that will remind them of Jesus. Here's verse 14, 2 Corinthians 2. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us, they're talking about believers here, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Who can do that? Who can be all of that? Who can be that fragrance? Who can be a fragrance of Jesus everywhere? None of us without help. Look at the next chapter, Second Corinthians chapter 3. Let's pick up in verse 4. For such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so we have no sufficiency of ourselves. We can't accomplish this. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul says, you are sufficient in Christ. You can be his aroma. You can be his fragrance. They can smell, metaphorically, the Lord Jesus everywhere we go because he pervades us. Mark says the events that occurred next came immediately. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying for mercy If Jesus had been any other Jewish rabbi, the woman would have had no chance of mercy because she would have been unclean. She would have been one of those untouchables. Do you see why the opportunity that Jesus received was unexpected then? Unexpected as we would see it? Because he was in the wrong place for something to happen. It was the wrong time. 
It was the wrong gender of the woman that came, and it was the wrong nationality. And so we can call this an unexpected place. The opportunity may have been unexpected, but it was not unwanted. The Lord Jesus didn't enter reluctantly into this situation because there was somebody there that he loved, somebody there that he wanted to help, and through her help many, many others down through the centuries who would hear of this story and hear the point behind the story. Jesus' compassion was not regimented by the clock. It wasn't limited by circumstances. It wasn't regulated by the bigotry of his culture. Do you know there are those who are, we classify them often as liberals, those who don't view the Scriptures in the same way that we do, that the Scriptures are inerrant, they're given by God and they're without error. And they will say that Jesus was no better than a victim of the culture of his time. And he was really subject to the ignorances of what went on at that particular time. Uh, But no, if that were the case, then this Canaanite woman would have gone to Jesus and he would have treated her just like any other rabbi would have. Jesus was different. Jesus was not a victim of his culture. Jesus was above his culture. So this opportunity may have been unexpected, but it was certainly not unwanted. A woman humbly cried out, And according to the Greek language here, she kept crying out. She didn't just ask, and it was one and done. She kept on crying out and asking for help for her daughter, who was severely oppressed by a demon, according to Mark. Mark refers to it as an unclean spirit. According to verse 22 here in Matthew, she cried out to the Lord, the son of David. She had some good theology. It's obvious that her faith was already growing. She knew who Jesus was. She equated him as the son of David. She was thinking in terms of Messiah. So she'd obviously brought her faith with her. This was an extraordinary woman. Her daughter was afflicted. She wanted to help her daughter, as any good mother would have. She was filled with humility and faith and a mother's love and care and concern, and she would not be deterred. Do you see in this woman someone who had a chance to help her daughter and nobody was going to stop her? She was going to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it until her daughter could be helped because she was severely afflicted by this demon. And this mother, if she could do something about it, she was going to, regardless of how it might have made her look. Her persistence was a very visible display of her faith. She knew that Jesus could help her daughter. She passionately asked for his help. She didn't give up easily. Marvin Williams, some of you read his devotionals, tells this story. In 1953, a fledgling business called Rocket Chemical Company and its staff of three set out to create a line of rust prevention solvents and degreasers for use in the aerospace industry. It took them 40 attempts to perfect their formula. Does anybody know what they made? I'll give you a hint. (laughs) Matt knew. Some of you did. WD-40. Secret formula. The WD stands for Water Displacement 40th attempt. That's persistency, isn't it? The 40th attempt, and they got it right. We're in the middle of a greater story of persistence of a mother 
who will persist to get help for her daughter. Marvin Williams concludes this by saying, this desperate woman came to Jesus with her need because she believed he could help her. She cried out to him even though everything and everybody seemed to be against her. Race, religious background, gender, the disciples, Satan, and seemingly even Jesus. Despite all of these obstacles, she did not give up. With bold persistence, she pushed her way through the dark corridors of difficulty, desperate need, and rejection. We, too, are invited to approach Jesus with bold persistence. As we keep asking, seeking, and knocking, we will find grace and mercy in our time of need. But three strange things are about to happen. Three things that we need to take another look at before we decide something's not right here because everything was right. Just at first glance, it looks like there's some strange things that are about to happen. They are going to test and display the persistent faith of this grand lady who's before us. How did Jesus respond to the woman at his feet? Because that was her posture. Mark says she came and fell down at his feet. And verse 25 here says that she knelt before him. Three strange things are going to happen, but please keep in mind, they were for the purpose of testing this lady. They were for the purpose of her demonstrating something that could be very helpful to all of us and all who've ever read about this story since it's been inscripturated. Here are the three strange occurrences. If you look at verse 23, when it says of Jesus, but he did not answer her a word. Did that puzzle any of you? He did not answer her a word. Some of you are saying that's, that's very un-Jesus-like for that to happen. Not a word. Here's a woman in desperate need. It's a good cause. It's for her daughter. And Jesus didn't say a word. Someone has put it this way. Jesus' response appeared to be absolute indifferent silence. Maybe some of you have heard the expression, the heavens were silent. Maybe you've been going through a difficulty and it seemed that way to you too. The heavens are silent. Why isn't God answering? Why isn't God doing something about this? Why am I in, am I in this terrible mess and it's getting worse before it's getting better? And the heavens are silent. God always has his reasons. That's why we're to trust him with all of our heart and not lean to our own understanding. But he had his reasons here. The Lord Jesus did. The heavens were silent. He did not answer her a word. That's the first strange occurrence. The second one, an insensitive solution from the disciples. They begged Jesus to send her away. She was annoying them by continuing to cry out. And so the disciples say, Lord, get rid of her. She's really a nuisance. You can imagine how this woman might be feeling. Jesus hasn't said anything, and it would have been better if the disciples hadn't said anything either. But they said, Lord, get rid of her. And then, thirdly, if you look at verse 24, there's a puzzling response from Jesus again. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Did that trouble you when those words were read, when you were reminded of that? Uh, that, that can be a very troubling statement also because it seems to be a rejection of the woman. I'm not here for your kind. I'm not here. You're, you're not the right type. You're the type of person that gets left out of my circle. Still, according to verse 25, she asked for help. 
Mark 7.27 records something important here that Jesus said. And for his purpose, Matthew didn't include that. But what Mark 7.27 says, let the children be fed first. He didn't say let the children be fed and only the children. He said let the children be fed first. Keep in mind, that's very significant. And then Mark and Matthew both have recorded this, the rest of this sentence, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What was Jesus doing here? Jesus was testing her faith and putting it on display. He had given a little riddle to the woman. Not hard for us to understand it. The children mentioned here are the lost sheep of Israel to whom Jesus had been sent. Their dogs are the Gentiles. That would include this woman. So what's going on here? Once again, let me reiterate. It appears that a woman was in desperate need of help. Jesus greeted her with absolute indifferent silence. The disciples wanted to send her packing. Jesus told her that she was not a priority with him. He didn't want to take what belonged to the children and give it to the dogs, meaning people like her. Again, all seeming out of character for Jesus. What's going on here? First, we need to see that Jesus' silence was not indifference. It was part of a plan. It was one of those things that, one of those all things that God works together for good to those who love him. It was part of a plan. So it was not indifference. Jesus' silence was the silence of love. Because by that, he would elevate this woman's awareness of her own faith. And then he would hold it up to the church to forever see. So that we could see her faith on display. She was given a test that Jesus knew she would pass. She did. It's recorded. It's given to us to help us, to encourage us, to challenge us as well. She persisted through the silence, the annoyance of the disciples, and even Jesus' words that seemed to be insulting and seemed to be rejecting. And then secondly, this scenario would no doubt be softened if we could hear the tone of Jesus' words, if we could see the smile and love in his eyes and realize that he had a purpose for this particular need for persistence. He had a purpose for his silence. He had a great purpose that all of us are involved in and not just the lady. It's going to be a happy ending for her. It's going to be a happy ending for us as well. When Jesus spoke of the dogs, very interesting, if you study that word and you look that up, he did not use the word for dogs the Pharisees ordinarily would use. He used a word that means puppies or household pets or lap dogs, not the mongrels that roamed the streets of the cities and lived off garbage, not the dogs the Pharisees would call these people. These were the pets that sat under the table and begged if they were allowed the ones who did keep the crumbs off the floor, and the ones who would look up at the people eating with those big, forlorn, hungry-looking eyes. How many of you are dog lovers among us? How many of you have ever had a dog look at you like that? They do. That's what we're dealing with here. Jesus is not saying, I don't want to give to you ugly, vicious dogs, crumbs that fall. Jesus is saying it's a matter of priority. Somebody's first in line, 
and it's going to be the Jews. Second in line is the Gentiles, but the pets will be fed. Your pets always got fed, didn't they? My pets always got fed. Um, they're, they're not going to be left out. So in Mark 7, 27, when Jesus said, let the children be fed first, don't worry, the puppies are always going to get fed. Jesus said the same thing elsewhere in different words. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Did you notice that? To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile or to the Canaanite as this woman was. In Romans chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Do you notice this? In the order, it's going to be the Jew first and also the Greek. Even the punishments will come in that order. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. God chose the Jews to be the vehicle through whom the whole world would be blessed. And he told us that he did that. But the Jews did have a priority seat in the drama of the ages and will continue to have that priority seat. You've heard it said before, how odd of God to choose the Jews. But he did for his own purposes. Why did he choose the Jews? He chose the Jews to bless them, but also to become a blessing to all of the rest of us as well. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, the Jews have taken a lot of things first that we wouldn't have wanted to have first or, or at all. Verse 27, the woman acknowledged in great humility that she realized where she fit in Jesus' riddle. She was one of the pet dogs. She said that even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs. She was humbly asking the Lord Jesus for some crumbs. That was all she needed. She didn't demand her rights as most would do today. She didn't get her back up and argue for what she deserved. She was willing for the crumbs. She had a test. How did she do? The A plus. The results of the test in verse 28. Jesus' answer. He acknowledged in speaking directly to her that she had great faith and her reward would be, be it done for you as you desire. He told her, you're going to get what you want. You're going to get what you've been asking for. And it says, and her daughter was healed instantly. Why? Had she changed Jesus' mind? No, Jesus' mind didn't need changing. But she demonstrated by a test a great faith that would help us to understand great faith and also to understand what Jesus is all about here. Mark 7.30, in Mark's parallel account, Mark said this, as Jesus spoke to the woman, for this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. Please understand the connection between this part of chapter 15 and the first part of chapter 15. None of this would have happened if Jesus had caved into the traditions of men of his time if he had not challenged the oral tradition that ran counter to God's love. None of this would have happened if Jesus had branded this woman as unclean. The Pharisees and the scribes, they wanted to brand hands unclean because they hadn't been ceremonially washed. But here in this particular case, now they would have wanted to declare people unclean. They did it all the time. 
Jesus reached out to the woman to measure her faith and to demonstrate to all of us what a remarkable woman she was. Even if she was different than the prejudices, the biases, the bigotry, and the exclusion of her day. I ask this question, do we need that same challenge? Does the Pharisee in us need to be exercised? I didn't say exercise, exorcise. Do we need to get rid of that? Does that need to be cast out? The Pharisee in us. Acts 10.34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. God is not a respecter of persons. God does not sit there and be impressed with you and not with the person next to you. God views all of us as his loved children, and he reaches out. And maybe there's a priority order because of God's purpose to the Jew first and also to the Greek, but it is and also to the Gentile. We're a part of that. Colossians 3.11 It says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Is it possible that some of us still draw circles around ourselves, our idea of how people should be, and we don't allow anyone else into that circle? We keep that circle very, very small. To be in that circle, you've got to be like me. You've got to look like me, think like me, act like me. Is it possible that we treat people like outcasts, like untouchables, just because in some way they're different than we are? Is the issue still race? Some people would say, well, no, we've gotten over that. No, we haven't gotten over that. I wish that we had, but it's still all around. Is it color? Is it national origin? Is it social? Is it envy? Understand when we draw that circle and we exclude all these people, do you know what Jesus' circle is? He doesn't have one. Everybody's inclusive in Jesus' love. Some folks want nothing to do with those who have good marriages because it reminds them that they don't. Some folks don't want anything to do with those who have children because they can't have children. Some want to write everyone out of their own personal equation who may be different than them, maybe have problems, maybe you're slow, maybe they're strange, maybe they're different in some way. Jesus wants to love those whom the Pharisees want to ostracize. Some people sneer at others. Maybe it's just in their minds, but they do it because of the way they dress, the way they decorate their bodies, the lifestyles they live, maybe even the way they smell. Jesus didn't hesitate to go into the world of others and love them all of them. And we've got a woman who demonstrated a great faith. She was tested. She was tested by the Lord Jesus. And at the same time, the Lord Jesus was testing all of us. Are we like him? Do we spread his fragrance all over? And are we like her? Do we have that kind of faith that persists in trusting God, even though there may be some strange things happening along the way that we don't understand? There's a whole lot for us in here, and I trust all of us are responding and trusting the Lord with all of our hearts as we see before here. Heavenly Father, thank you for granting to us a glimpse at a very special lady who passed a test with flying colors and a very special Jesus who enabled her to take that test so she could be put on display for us and at the same time demonstrated his great love and a circle that he doesn't have because he opens his love to everyone. 
And may we be each one joyful as a result of that, knowing that we're included in his love, just like the person sitting next to us and behind us and the person who may be different totally than us. None of that makes any difference to Jesus. And I pray to us in Jesus' name. Amen.